G'day, Sports by Fry fans. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast channel. I'm here very quickly, going to get through the round five wrap-up. We're only a few hours away from round six getting underway. Crazy time in the AFL fantasy world. Uh, Not helped by the fact that I had to spend a couple of hours in hospital over the Easter period. Uh, Some of you may be aware I injured my eye on Easter Monday, but I'm all good. Nothing too serious. I can still see out of it, but unfortunately, due to that, uh, my production has been pushed back from a fantasy uh, point this week, and I've just hit publish on my Cash Cows piece for the DT Talk Boys, and it means I won't be able to get a round uh, round five wrap-up video done this week. But round six should be business as usual. I've been saying that for a couple of weeks, but hopefully things will finally fall into line. But there's plenty to talk about after round five. I know it feels like an eternity ago, but yeah, round six is fast approaching. So enough wasting time. Let's dive right in. The biggest news heading into round six revolves around all the new dual position players. So I'm sure you're well aware by now but we saw 28 new DPPs enter the fantasy world. A lot of them are relevant, some of them not so much, but the main relevant ones come in the form of some of the cash cows. So let me look in defense first. There's a few guys in there that pique my interest, starting with Sydney Stack, who gained defender status. A lot of people will look to utilize that and play him in their defense on the field with a few midfield rooks emerging that I'm gonna talk about a bit later, but Stack is someone that I've flicked back into my defense. He'll probably start for me tonight against the D's. Pretty uh, points-hungry team, Richmond. Oh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Melbourne gives up a lot of points. So from that perspective, I think that Stack should score decently. The other big one was Caleb Daniel, who keeps getting it done to start the season, has kind of emerged as an option. I didn't really think... You know, who doesn't really have the highest fantasy pedigree, but going at an average around the 90s, he's now got defense status. He was forward eligible before, so he is someone else that can now be swung between those two lines, which is very helpful. Don't know if he can really push his way into top six uh, status, but definitely a chance, just over 600 grand, so there's a unique player you could potentially chase there. In the midfields, we saw a lot of the big guys like Whitfield, Boak, and Billings gain midfield status, but chances are if you own one of them, you'll want to play them in defense or the forward line. Rucks, not a hell of a lot to talk about. Rowan Marshall is relevant in draft, so if you have him in your draft sides, he's gained ruck status as well as forward, so that could be very helpful. And then turning my attention to the forwards, we saw a record number of forwards. There were 15 blokes who gained forward status, most of them midfielders, some defenders, so... The probably the most important of the bunch, uh, Michael Gibbons, Tom Atkins, and Zach Butters, bunch of rookies who are in a lot of people's teams and now provide coaches with a handy link between their midfield and forward lines. I personally gave Gibbons the chop ahead of his uh, round six game where he played really well against the Dogs, which hurts a bit, but he, Atkins, and Butters now give you, like I said, a good link. So that probably will see them stay in a lot of coaches' teams for the next at least fortnight, I guess. Atkins and Gibbons potentially have a little bit more growth. Butters, maybe not. I think if you can chop out Butters and get something decent this week, I'm all for it. But those were the rookies that were relevant. Some other big names, though, bobbed up as potential top six forwards. I'm talking about Dustin Martin and Brad Ebert in particular. Gary Ablett is probably a fringe chance, but... 
Dusty is someone who really interests me, and a lot of coaches have been asking me if it's a bit of a trap, Dusty getting forward status, should they bring him in right away? He had one good score last weekend, so I personally am going to wait a little bit to get Dusty, but he's not a terrible option. We know that he can score well, we've seen him do it in the past, and if he can push his average, he's under 80 at the moment, but priced under 600 grand, if he can push that average up about 10 to 15 points, then we'll see his ownership spike. Has a break even of 92, so... Fingers crossed he doesn't top that or go too much further than that against Melbourne. And with the Bulldogs and Frio on the horizon, there could be plenty of points for Dusty Martin. All right, very quickly, like I said, I want this to be quick and sharp so that people can hopefully listen to it before the first partial lockout between the Ds and Tigers. My team did well last week. I scored 21.68, but more importantly, I shot up the rankings. I was sitting almost bang on the 30,000 mark, and now I'm up to 23,000. A big reason for that was uh, Jack Billings, who I brought into my team for Josh Dunkley last week. Um, my forward line produced probably the best out of all the lines. Tim Kelly and Dangerfield were great. Warple was good. Willem Drew and Grian Myers on my field were good as well. And unfortunately had Jack Petricelli on my bench, but that's all right. It's better to have him than to not. Rucks, I have Jared Witz and Brody Grundy. So Witz has actually now just moved ahead of Max Gorn from a points perspective and is technically the second best drunk. So he's looking like a great pick for those blokes that started with him. My midfields let me down a little bit. Timmy Taranto and Cripps were the main offenders after lacklustre performances. Taranto was someone that I was considering chopping out, but I think he'll bounce back. I know he only scored about four points in the final quarter and a half quarter and a third, so there was a letdown, but I think he and Cripper will bounce back. Rocky as well was another bloke who didn't top 100, but I held Constable in my midfield and was forced to play Atkins on my field over Sydney Stack, so I lost a couple of points there, but brought in Will Hayes, who was good on debut as well. So I'll probably look, I'll talk my trades at the end, but probably look to get Ross into the mix there this weekend. And in defense, Lloyd was great. Brody Smith and Williams, I'm kind of lucky that they still scored so well, and I want to chop them out sooner rather than later, but they were fine. Hopefully have a little bit more growth left in them before I can turn them into a decent primo or someone just a little bit underneath the top six defender. Dersma struggled a bit, and Marty Hoare and Scrimshaw rounded out my blokes on the field. I wasn't sure about Jordan Clark's status ahead of lockout, so I swung him onto my bench, and he'll probably go for me this week. Alright, my favourite five, and before I get into this, I just want to give a quick shout out to Matty Tabernar, who didn't crack the favourite five this week, but I did have him in my draft side, and he won me my draft, well he didn't personally, but I'm accounting his 128 for my draft win by three points, so thanks Matty Tabs. Uh, plus five was fairly easy once again this week. Top score of the round went to Zach Merritt, who looks like a legitimate option in Fantasy Classic once again. If you are looking for a midfield upgrade, this is probably the right time to grab Merritt ahead of Anzac Day Clash. Now, by the time you're listening to this, we might know the team's for that clash, if Levi Greenwood comes in for the Magpies, there could be a potential tag coming towards him, but after averaging 80 in the first three rounds, Merritt's gone 128 from memory and 143, so this is probably the cheapest he's going to be. So if you're looking for an upgrade, he's the one in the midfield. Jake Lloyd's 135 saw him get the plus four. Consistency is what we covet as fantasy coaches, and no one's been a more reliable source of big scores this year than Jake Lloyd. Whitfield has been great as well, and those two are now tied for the highest average this season. And I was considering making Jake Lloyd my captain. Didn't have the balls to pull it off, though, and 
He produced a one. He topped that 130 mark finally against Richmond and could maybe be an option this week as a skipper. I'm not a huge fan of it. I know that he hasn't gone under 120 this year, so it's hard to argue with his consistency in numbers. But against the Giants, I'm not a huge fan of that play, but definitely a top defender conversation. And I need to stop talking about this and move on to the plus three. That was Steve Canelio, who scored 126 for the Giants from 37 touches. Top scored for GWS in their loss to Frio. So definitely looking like a top eight midfielder and you should consider bringing him in if you can. Plus two goes to Jared Witts, who I've already given a bit of a pump up. Don't go puffing your chest out too much, Witts owners, because looking at the teams he's played in the first couple of rounds, it's not surprising that he scored really well, but he is someone that I was looking to upgrade into Max Gorn when he struggles, and he hasn't struggled yet. So he deserves recognition for his good scores. And then my plus one, I've seemed to give a lot of the rookies the plus one in recent times, and I could have gone to Sammy Walsh, who had another great game. Could have gone a couple of ways, maybe with Sloan or Tim Kelly, but Jack Petricelli, who earned the Rising Star nomination for round five, went for an enormous 115 on Good Friday. It was very unexpected. As I mentioned, he was sitting on my bench and was probably for a lot of coaches, but for those that took the punt and had him on their field, they were rewarded for rolling the dice after his lacklustre effort in the derby. Uh, five goals he snagged in his performance. I won't go expecting 115 again from him anytime soon, especially with a tough matchup against the Cats this weekend. But yeah, well done, Petra. The frustrating five, starting with a negative five for Taylor Adams. Now, before the season, he was on a lot of coaches' radars, including mine, but his game against Brisbane was a real letdown. He only averaged 56 and... I don't really know what the reason was for Adams' struggles. I'm sure he'll be right back in the mix for a lot of coaches when he goes out and has a great 110, 115 on Anzac Day, but not exactly what we were expecting from someone who we thought could have been a bit of a bargain entering the season. The neg four goes to Steph Martin, who might officially be cooked. It could be Archie Smith's time, because the big line looks like a shell of his former fantasy-relevant self. He's not the only one struggling at the moment in the ruck department, but... I think it's time to start exploring other options if you are an owner. Another one of an aging ruckman who's failing to fire is Todd Goldstein. He cops the negative three this week after a 66. Only just won the hit out count against Tom Bell Chambers on the weekend and gathered just 13 touches. So he and Steph Martin are just underneath that 600k mark and I'd personally look to move them on if I was an owner this week. Going a little bit uh, left of field for my neg two, going to Jack Darling. It might be because he's a draft-relevant player, or thought he might have been for some coaches, but he only managed 18 points on the weekend from six touches. What the hell, Jack Darling? 33 a few weeks earlier as well. If you do, for some reason, have him in Classic, don't even think twice. He's priced at 455 and honestly, you'd be better off playing a rookie at this rate. Finally, the neg one goes to Lockie Neal, who unfortunately was one of the most popular trade targets last week, and he let a bunch of coaches down against Collingwood in their flogging, but his hot streak came to a grinding halt. He was in the favourite five for three straight weeks, so I didn't really want to put him in the neg one category, but there were a few other guys in that mix. Brody Grundy and Trav Boak were a little bit lucky to dodge a bullet, but yeah, Lockie Neal was the letdown, but I'm sure he'll bounce back to triple figures this weekend. Righto, trade tactics time. Now, like I said, Zach Merritt is probably the most relevant midfield upgrade candidate at the moment. The potential Levi Greenwood tag might scare off a few people, and they do have Sydney who could send George Hewitt to him in a few weeks, but 
There's no reason why he can't stay hot even with a little bit of added attention, and he looks like a potential top eight midfielder. So at 700 grand, if you can get him potentially trading out a underperformer like Dom Sheed or a rookie upgrade, then Merritt is a pretty good pick. The form of Brad Shepard makes him hard to pass up as well. He's someone who I've talked about a little bit here and there in the past and was on my radar this week, but didn't pull the trigger. And his 110 against Port Adelaide should make a lot of coaches look a little harder at Shepard. Uh, Jack Billings, who I've talked about from my perspective, I think he's turned the corner and looks like a very relevant fantasy player. So it's hard to not see him making the top six forward list at the moment. From the rookie front, there are a couple of relevant rookies in the midfield, but I want to start with Marty Hall. He's just a tick under 300 grand at the moment and owns the lowest break even in the comp. It's not too late to get on him. So if you were considering him in one of your trade packages before uh, lockout tonight or partial lockout, then by all means go for it. It might be the last round you can get him in though because another, even if he scores a 60, he's likely to rise 40 or 50k, so it could be tricky to bring him in after that. But from the midfield perspective, there are three big dogs that you need to see, three big dogs that you need to seriously consider and look at. One of them is Jack Ross, who will play tonight and is 263 grand. A couple of grand more at 271 is a giant fresh off his debut in Jackson Hatley. And finally, a couple of grand cheaper than those boys, about 80 or 70 grand, is Will Hayes from the Bulldogs. So all three of them, I think, are great cash cow options moving forward. Personally, I don't know why it is. A lot of people have been asking me about this this week, and I don't really know why I have Ross ahead of Hatley. It's a little bit more of a personal preference. I like the role that Ross has been playing in the past, and even with Cochin coming back into the side. He's had a setback, so it won't be for a few more weeks, but even when he does come back in, I think Ross can hold his spot in the team. Hatley will have a lot of opportunity now that Cal Ward's out for the season, but yeah, I'm a little bit not worried, it's not the right word, and his scoring potential, Hatley's that is, could be higher than Ross's, but it's only eight grand, but I do love money generation, and Hatley looks like a bloke that could be on our fields if you do take the punt on him through the buys and maybe um, get you a good upgrade and your final upgrade. But Ross could also be that bloke. So I do like both of them at the moment. Like I've talked about with the money between those two, grabbing Will Hayes appeals to me the most out of that trio. Taylor Jaray is out for the foreseeable future. And even if he technically wasn't the only reason Hayes uh, earned his debut, I like the role he was playing. He took a few marks. He was running around the ground everywhere. Should score well again against the Dockers this week and is a viable starter. So... To save an extra 60 or 70 grand by getting Will Hayes pushes him above the other two, in my opinion, and then I'd have Ross just ahead of Hatley. Everyone was crying out for a forward rookie or a defender rookie to get named, and we got one of each with Lewis Young, uh, with Lachlan Young, sorry, I keep getting the two mixed up, and Braden Ham from the Bombers. I don't know how well they'll go about holding their spot in the sides. Young should be around for a couple more weeks with Matty Suckling injuring himself, but Ham, again, by the time you're listening to this, you might know the teams for uh, Anzac Day. If With Devin, Devin Smith, I should say, coming back in, and David Zaharakis, I don't know if Ham can hold his spot. If he does with those two still included, though, there's nothing wrong with chasing him. And Young, probably for your bench, is a fine option. But again, once Suckling comes back in a fortnight or three weeks, he might just be axed straight away. For those people out there who do have Steph Martin or Todd Goldstein, like I said, both of them are priced a hair under 600 grand, and 
There's nothing wrong with ditching both, if you have them, or either of them to get to Shane Mumford. He could save you a hundred or so grand, and even though the Giants have said they will rest him at some point this year, he keeps putting up 80s and offers you at least a solution moving forward. There aren't really a lot of other popular premiums in the other lines that I'd look to move on at the moment. Some guys are underperforming a little bit, but you know they're gonna they're not gonna score a hundred plus every week. I know someone who is keeping his triple figure streak alive is Jack McRae, and frustrating a few coaches who took a punt on him, but. I can guarantee you the week that you trade him out, he'll go 135. So he'll be a top eight midfielder. You don't trade out blokes like that, even if they're scoring 100 plus. So hold on to your primos at the moment. Don't do something stupid like I did by trading Alex Witherden out because as soon as you do, they'll start scoring 100s again. Make sure if you're listening to this, you go and check out my Dream Team Talk rookie piece, which is out now. But in there, I talked about a couple of the cash cows that you can look to cull. Jordan Clark is... Almost at the top of the list for me this week, along with Xavier Dersma and Matty Parker, depending in which line you want to look to move someone on. And Zach Butters, maybe. He probably is fourth in that uh, quartet of players. But I think it's time to start looking at potential down and upgrades. So moving a rookie off your field, potentially cashing in someone on your bench, and that allows you to move up to a premium. You could look at a double downgrade. Like I said, there's a few options in the midfield this week to further generate some cash. But I think Clark Dersma and Matty Parker are probably the three most pressing trade outs at the moment. And if you can get them to a cheaper rookie and increase cash generation, or you can upgrade them to a, a good defender or forward, then I'd look to do that this week. Speeding through some waiver wire moves. By the time you're listening to this, obviously the waiver wires are open. So hopefully these players are still out there. But Cam Guthrie, from the Cats, looked right at home for Geelong in his first game back for the season, scored just under 100, so if you can get him as a defender, I'd be snapping him up. Timmy English might be out there for a couple of coaches who are looking for a reliable ruck, and he'll be very uh, like a roller coaster trying to monitor his scores, but I think he's should provide some support in that area. Jake Melksham up forward was in under 30% of teams, when I uh, wrote my article on Monday or Tuesday morning, I should say. So for that reason, he's a viable choice. Gives you a bit of depth in your forward line. Uh, Sydney Stack and Marty Hoare are very classic relevant, but there's no reason why you couldn't take a punt on them in your draft league as well. And finally, Jackson Thurlow from the Swans in just 8% of teams, scored 83 on the weekend, has a three-round average of 72. So he could be another depth piece if you have a deeper league and someone that I'd Definitely at least put on my watch list. All right, my moves this week. I'm moving on from Jordan Clark and Xavier Dersma. If I do here, Wilham, uh, Bradenham, sorry, keep his spot, then I might look at moving on Parker ahead of those two. But getting rid of Clark and Dersma allows me to not only get Jack Ross for tonight, who, like I've already talked about, I think is a good cash cow moving forwards, not only against the uh, Demons, who could leak a lot of points tonight, but these moves allow me to finally spend a bit of coin and get Rory Laird into my defence. Saints defenders, or the Saints defence I should say, is giving up a lot of points recently and at just 700 grand, I think this is gonna be the cheapest we can get Rory Laird. Wayne Miller out, should see Laird get a bit of a boost in points, maybe a bit more defensive attention, but I have high faith that Laird can reward coaches this week. I am looking at Brad Shepard, which could save me an extra 70 grand if I go that route, but. What I tend to resort to when it comes to trades is do I think this player will be a top six or eight player in that position? 
Brad Shepard, potentially, but he's only got a five-week hot start behind him. Rory Laird, we've seen behave like a premium defender for years now, so I like him potentially spending up a little bit more for him, but that's all right. This trade's leaving me with about 50 grand left in the bank. Hopefully, I can chase Dusty next week, but I'm not going to try thinking too far ahead. I can't reach Lockie Whitfield, which is a bit annoying, and I might even see what team selections throw up because I might consider a double downgrade so that I can go Dersma to Whitfield next week. But like I said, while you can get rid of these rooks and chase someone like Roy Laird, I think it's a good option. And that is the round five wrap-up. Thank you for tuning in. Again, apologies for the hysteria around this time. I know it's a busy time of year, a crazy time of year for fantasy coaches. So hopefully you can get to this episode before the Wednesday's partial lockout. If not, we'll see another one on Thursday with Anzac Day before Friday Night Footy kicks off. So feel free to hit me up with any questions you've got on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram ahead of making your trade moves. Otherwise, good luck for round six. Fingers crossed I won't go hospitalizing myself ahead of round seven and I can get back to a normal uh, posting schedule. But if not, until next time, 